following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. It is so good to see everybody on a Wednesday. We give all the glory to God, but we want to honor people. And I just want to say that uh, we don't ever give props where props are due. But uh, I, I love to worship through other people's worship. That's just one way. I, I, can, I connect with God seeing other people connect with God. And I have just been blessed tonight and many, many other nights by Miss Jamie Jones, who's over here, who just kills it with our deaf and hard of hearing community. I love you, Jamie. Love you. I love our whole community over here. Just love her. Love her heart. All right. We are in, uh, in week two of the domino effect. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, my family, we're pretty good at those dominoes. All right. We, my granddad, grand champion of dominoes. You can ask Brother Marvin Hertel. He'll tell you. All right. 42 chicken foot. We will take you out. I don't care what the game is. We love Domino's. I even like to eat Domino's pizza, okay? I'm, I'm, it's in my blood and in my cholesterol in Jesus' name, okay? But a domino effect, the definition of a domino effect is when one event sets off a chain reaction, like a falling row of dominoes. It's used to imply that an event is inevitable or highly likely. In other words, it's already set in motion. Now, our pastor, in a powerful, powerful way last week, and I honor you for allowing me this opportunity tonight, but uh, set off this, this domino uh, of this series and, and talked about the first domino we need to push down is our praise. That praise is the only thing, it's the only interaction with God that requires absolutely no qualification. And there are things we do not see that are set into motion when we praise God. Things start happening, you praise God, and things that you cannot see are set into motion. Things start happening. Now, I was raised raised in a Baptist church, and I I loved my upbringing, and I loved that church. But when I grew up, uh, if somebody were to say to me, we're going to a worship service, the idea that would come into my head was quite different than the one that the Bible describes, and, and, and so I, I want to talk about that tonight. What does the Bible have to say about worship? Like, what is God's preference for praise? That's a good question to ask. Like, what is it? Like, we, I, I was watching, as I'm knowing I'm talking about praise, I'm talking about worship, and I'm watching the room, and I'm seeing all different kinds of worship. And what would God's word say about his preference for praise? What would we find out if we asked the question and took the journey, what does God actually like? Like, what is he like? That's what we're talking about tonight. King David is responsible for writing most of the book of Psalms, and uh, it's a biblical word for songs of worship. It's the longest book in the Bible by far. It's 150 chapters, and again, I don't think that's coincidental. I think God's saying, hey, this is really important to me. This songs, these worship, this is important to me. And if you read Psalms, they're all expressions, God's style, expressions of praise and worship. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek, and when the Bible translators translated the Bible, they did a great job. It's very accurate. However, there's a small problem because these languages have more words in them than the English language, especially Hebrew. And so when a Bible translator sees a word in the Hebrew and they translate it into English, 
so many times, specifically with Hebrew, because Hebrew is more pictorial, and so one word, it might take a whole paragraph to really dissect that and, and analyze, like for us to understand what the writer is really trying to say. And so this Bible will be three times as thick as it already is, and so they would just insert a word like praise in the Bible. So when you're reading Psalms, you see the word praise, praise, praise. But it literally can be seven different Hebrew words that all have different meanings for praise. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the the seven words, the seven meanings of the seven words for God's style of worship. We're going to get a Hebrew lesson. Are you all ready? Okay. Here's the first one. So you're just reading praise in your Bible. You just read it as praise. But it could be any of these seven words. Here's the first word. It's Hallel. Hallel, which means to rave and to boast and to celebrate and be clamorously foolish. I love that. That's what God wrote. And you probably recognize this one because of the word hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah is this word combined with Yah. The Yah at the end of hallelujah is God. So it's literally translated as Hallel, God. Celebrate God, rave about God, boast about God, be clamorously foolish about God. Now listen to me, in every pastor's library, they have a dictionary of Hebrew words and Greek words, it's called a lexicon, and in every one of those lexicons, the the definition for the word Hallel is what you see on the screen. To rave, to boast, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish, God wants you to be a little bit crazy for him. And, And He wants you to celebrate him. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if I go on Saturday night to see the Trojans and the Horns play, you'd think that we'd get a little crazy and celebrate if somehow an upset happens for the glory of God. And and I think about the ultimate upset when Jesus Christ came out of that grave. He wants us to celebrate that and get a little crazy and clamorously foolish about him and to rave about him and to boast about him. It makes sense to me. We celebrate that. Now, let me show you the place where it's written in Scripture. Psalm 35, uh, beginning in verse 18, it says, I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will hallel you before all the people. I'll praise you. Just be clamorously foolish for you. I want to make a statement that I believe that low-key conservative worship does nothing but protect our egos. And I say that in love, okay, but I I think that low-key conservative worship doesn't really do anything but protect our egos. We need to go out there and give God not only what he deserves, but what he wants, everybody. He wants us to get a little crazy for him and just to show him, I celebrate you, I want to rave about you, I want to boast about you. And listen, I'm going to give you some grace because I grew up in in an environment where, where that wasn't normal. Okay, I'm not asking you to take a leap with me tonight because I didn't take that leap overnight either. But I'm just asking you to take a step to say, okay, I'm going to try to get get like, right? I'm not ready for this, but I'll carry the TV. You know, something, just a little bit. Just take a step with me. Just be clamorously foolish. Celebrate, rave about God. He loves that. He loves that. Here's the second word. You just see the word praise in your Bible. The Hebrew word is yada, yada, which means to acknowledge in public, yada, not Yoda, that's the little green guy, (laughs) but just to acknowledge in public, it literally translates as to do so with an outstretched arm, 
right, to acknowledge in public. It's, it's this idea of saying, if I were to ask in the room, who of you are Christians, you go, oh, ooh, 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 me, right? You shoot your hand up. You're acknowledging in public that I love Christ. You wouldn't even hesitate. And God likes it when you lift your hands in worship, acknowledging him in public. I was preaching at another church uh, not that long ago, and I had a young man come up to me, and he asked a very honest, sincere question. He said, why do we raise our hands in worship? And I said, well, first of all, it's because God asks us to do it. (laughs) God has a right to write whatever he wants in the Bible, and he asks us to raise our hands, so that's that's why we raise, like, if he says it, we do it, right? And by the way, that's the number one reason that I raise my hands in worship is because God asks me to do that. Like, if he said, go stand in the corner upside down with your leg out and your tongue wiggling, I'd do it because if God said that, like, who am I to, to, to question God Almighty? He says, that's the way I like to be worshipped. But is there a reason for it? He said, of course, of course there's a reason for that. It, it's to be acknowledged in public. Think about it this way. Um, you, again, you see that at a football game, okay? When the horns, if the horns cross over the goal line on Saturday night, right? What, what's that ref going to do? Right? You're the champions. Victory, right? You're going to throw your hands up. It's almost a natural response. And God says, I want that kind of response too, where you just acknowledge me in public and you just say, I love you. I worship you. I give my heart to you. He loves that. Here's the verse, Psalm 138.1. It says, I will yada you. I will acknowledge you in public. I will lift my hands to you, O Lord, with all my heart. I'm going to give you everything. Here's the next Hebrew word. You're just reading the word praise as you're reading through Psalms. Could be any of these seven words. It's the word barak. Barak, which means to bless by kneeling or bowing. And yes, that is the same name as our former president. So it's, it's to bless by kneeling or bowing. It, it, a better uh, synonym for this is, is almost to bow and surrender. Like that's a good synonym for, for Barak is surrender. So you could sum up Barak with surrender. Isn't that cool? Like one praise is be clamorously foolish or to bow down and surrender. That God loves both. They're completely opposite of each other. And God loves both styles of worship. That's his preference for praise. Uh, I I, I think this is why I love this study. Anybody else enjoying this? Okay. All right. I'll keep going. Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Barak, or praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, Barak, his holy name. It's just this beautiful expression of worship to come to God and say, I surrender to you. I give my life to you. I owe it all to you. Here's the next one. It's the word zamar. Zamar, which means making music to God with strings. And this is one of those pictorial words that if you actually study the word, it it, it translates almost to like pluck those bad boys. Like hit them hard. (laughs) Like he's not looking for this acoustic spa music. Like God, he's like, get out the electric guitar. Like that's what he wants. You know what that tells me? God's cool. That's what that tells me. <laughs> Psalm 92 1. That's where you can find this one. He said, It is good to Zamar. Hit those strings on that guitar, right? To the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. And with this one, I want to show you another verse. Uh, this is out of Psalm 150. Again, 150 chapters in Psalm. 
And it makes sense to me that I would summarize the entire book with the last chapter. And so there's all this praise, 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 all in Psalm 150. And it's all the word Hallel, except for one Zamar. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. And that's not a person who doesn't tell the truth. That's an instrument, okay? <laughs> praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise, that one is Zamar. Praise him with the strings in the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. God loves it. Don't you love it too? Right? When it's just like noisy and God is getting a lot of glory. Can you imagine being at Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium on a Saturday night and they go, shh. All 80,000 of you, I'm trying to watch the game. No, it's like I want to make as loud of noise as I possibly can. I want to make such, so much noise, I can't even hear the person to my left or my right. That's a good game. That's a game we'll remember. That we would have that kind of experience. We just make so much noise that the roof would literally come off this place. Here's another word. It's the word shabak. Shabak which means to address in a loud tone or to shout. To say this appropriately in the Hebrew, you have to say it like you got a popcorn kernel stuck in the back of your throat. Shabbat. Don't do it now because you'll spit on the person in front of you. But uh, Again, this is God. God wrote this, not me. This is 3,000-year-old text. And God says, Shabbat, I want you to shout. I want you to make a loud noise to me. I like it when you get loud for me. And I started thinking how much shouting happens I know I keep alluding to back to the football, but that's one thing I love about Christian life, Austin, is for the most part, we, there's a lot of life here. And it always used to bother me when I would go into a church and it would be less exciting on Sunday than it was on Saturday. That doesn't make any sense to me. We're talking about the savior of the, of the world or a six and six football team, right? And I just made, made up my mind. I said, I... I'm not going to shout louder for a football team that doesn't even know my name than I am the God who created me. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go to a game and make more noise, and I've done it. I've come to church horse, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make more noise for a team that doesn't even care that I exist than a God that has a plan for me and a purpose for my life. I want to make some noise for Jesus. He says, shout with a loud toy. Noise, make some noise. Psalm 63, 3 and 4 is where this one's found. Because your love is better than life. He says, because your love is better than life. Because your love is better than my spouse. Your love is better than my kids. Your love is better than my job. Your love is better than football. Your love is better than Fortnite. Your love is better than shopping. Your love is better than than blue skies. Your love is better than anything. Your love is better than life. And because of that, my lips will glorify you. I will shabak you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. God wrote that. Here's the next one. It's toda. Toda, which means to lift hands in adoration. If you're keeping count, that's the second time of the seven words where God's trying to get your attention, saying, hey, I, I kind of like it when you lift your hands. I want you to lift your hands in adoration. This is a little different than the first one, because the first one, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lifting of your hands as like, uh, who's a Christian? Ooh, ooh, it's me. And you're acknowledging him in public. This is more a lifting of hands in adoration or surrender. 
It's kind of like if I held a gun up to you or somebody held a gun up to you, you'd say, I surrender. That's the idea here is that you say, God, I surrender. I surrender. I, I adore you. I give you my life. I give you my pride. I give you my will. I give you my plans. I give it all to you. I surrender to you, Lord. That's Shabbat. I'm sorry, Toda. Toda. See, I'm getting confused. Here's where it's used. Psalm 50, 23. Psalm 50, 23. says, he who offers Toda, he who offers this hand-lifting surrender glorifies me, and to him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. And the last one I think is, is, <laughs> I think is the funniest of them all. It's Tehillah. Tehillah, which means exuberant singing. It sounds like tequila, but it's not. It leads to the same result, but that's just coincidence. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> I even think the verse is funny because it sounds similar. <laughs> Psalm 34.1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His tequilah will always be on my lips. Funny. That's funny. I don't care who you are, that's funny. <laughs> you got a little too excited over there. That was... We need to talk. <laughs> but God just enjoys this exuberant singing. He, he just loves it when you sing, when you kind of get lost in worship. And you're just loving him and you're singing, you're off key. He's like, I love it. I created that voice. I know it's off key. Sing louder. He loves it. Just to show you how cool the Bible is, I want to show you a verse, a set of verses that it has lots of those words all together. It's Psalm 108, verses 1 through 3. It says, oh God, my heart is fixed. What does that mean? It means I'm, I'm, I'm putting my feet in wet concrete and letting it solidify around me. Like I'm, I'm deciding that I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God, not the way that I want to worship, but the way that he wants me to worship. I'm going to worship God. I don't care what the person to the left of me thinks, to the right of me thinks, to behind me thinks. I, my heart's fixed that I will. Some of you need to get an I will attitude as you leave here tonight. You would just say, you know what, I'm going to do it. Even though it's uncomfortable for me, I'm going to do it because God wants me to do it. Like, I will. I will do that. That's how I'm going to start worshiping because that's what God asks of me. That's his preference for praise. I will sing and give Zamar. Even with my glory, I will yada thee, O Lord, among the people. And I will sing Tehillah unto thee among the nations. Isn't that awesome? Worship. Worship, if I could summarize worship, it is love expressed. Worship is love expressed. Let me say it this way. It's not worship if it's not love. And it's not worship if it's not expressed. So I can't just say, God, I love you with all my heart. But if I don't express that to him, it's not, it's not worship. In the same way, I can't tell my wife, I love you with all my heart, but don't expect any hugs from me. Don't expect any kisses from me. I'm not going to text or talk to you throughout the day. That ain't going to fly, okay? I've got to express that love, right? Worship is love expressed. It's not worship if it's not love. It's not worship if it's not expressed. And so worship is saying I love you and expressing that love to him. And let me throw this this extra thought before we move on. I do a lot of... uh, Visiting with, counseling with uh, marriage couples, couples that are dealing with marriage issues. And um, 
If you've come and visited with me, you probably have heard this. Uh, a great book, it's a very famous book, uh, written in the mid-90s called uh, The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. And Dr. Chapman says that there's five ways that people feel love. Okay, now, uh, you probably all feel love in all five ways, but there's typically a primary way that you feel love the most. If you're married, this is a great conversation on the way home to ask your spouse, how do you feel love? This is one of the most revolutionary light bulb going off moments for my wife and I when we understood each other that we had different love languages. So the five love languages, the first one is time. So I feel love when my partner spends time with me. So we don't even have to be like engaged in conversation. We can be sitting down watching Netflix, but we're we're spending time together, and I feel loved when she carves out time for me. The second one is, is words of affirmation or words of encouragement. So I feel loved when she says, honey, thank you for being such a great provider. Or when I say, wow, you look amazing tonight. You're so beautiful. Right? Just encouraging each other with words. I feel loved when I'm encouraged with, with verbal cues. The third one is acts of service. So I came home, and the trash was taken out, and he did, I didn't even have to ask him, you know. <sighs> Right? Uh, or, or I came home and the whole house was clean. Come on, right? That, that's somebody's acts of service down here. Like, that, that's their love language. That, that you just love it when somebody serves you. They, they took my car and got gas in the car, and I, I didn't have to get gas this morning, right? Just those little acts of service. The fourth one is gift giving. It doesn't have to be physically buying a gift. It could be a, a sticky note on the steering wheel saying, I love you, have a great day. It could be flowers you pick from the neighbor's yard, whatever that is. Just a, a gift. I love you. I was thinking about you. And the fifth one is physical touch. Um, it can be a lot of things. All right, it could be a lot of things. It could be hugging, kissing, and holding hands, that kind of stuff, right? So, so those, those are the five love languages. Now, what's interesting about that is that you probably have a primary. And more than likely, it's not the same as your spouse's. It's just not. Uh, it's very rare, in fact. It's very rare. When I have that happen in my office, I like, want to ring a bell because it's so rare that that happens. And my wife and I, hers is acts of service, and mine is physical touch. Why do you laugh at that? <laughs> just, that's just how I feel love from her, not from anybody else, okay? Don't touch me. Um, but what happens is, here's what happened in the beginning of our marriage. I'd come home, the house would be spotless. The carpet is vacuumed. There's dinner on the table. It's hot steam is coming off my meal. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I just want to go make out with you, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like, that, that's not my love language, but that's her love language. So she's thinking, well, this is how I feel love. So this must be how you must feel love. And so she'd do that for me, and she's speaking Chinese, and I'm over here speaking Spanish. We're just speaking different languages. Okay? So now I've learned that about her. So now before I leave for a big trip or I go out of town for a few days, I, I don't call and whisper sweet nothings in her ear. I don't buy her a gift while I'm at the place. I clean the toilets before I leave the house. <laughs> you know? And she comes home. She goes, oh, he loves me. I'm like, you can eat off them toilets, baby. They're clean. Right? And then I got a wife when I get home. She's happy. Now listen. That's, that's for free. That's just good stuff right there. God has a love language too. And it's Zamar and Yada and Hillel and Toda and Tehillah and Barak and Shabak. He says, I want you, that's how, that's how I feel loved. When you express your love to me 
in these ways. That's how I feel love. That's what the God of the Bible would say. I love it when you do these things, when you bow down and surrender, when you clamorously are foolish for me, when you acknowledge me in public, when you shout for me, when you exuberantly sing for me. That's my love language. She'd say, okay, well, what does Jesus have to say about all this? It's an interesting passage of Scripture, and I'm going to pull out one phrase. It's Mark uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them. This is Jesus and other people debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus said, the most important one. Pause right there. If you ever come across a statement like that in the Bible... Just camp out on that statement for a little while, right? Jesus said, the most important one. Like 613 commandments, this is the most important one. This is it. Are you ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he says in verse 30, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He said, if you you could just do this one thing, you're going to find the other 612 things are going to come a lot easier. They're going to be easier to do. Let me say it this way. If you forget this one thing, the other 612 things are going to be very difficult to do. I have friends that, that I have a friend in particular that says, I don't, I, like, I, I get what you're talking about, Reed. He's an atheist. And, uh, and he says, I, I understand that. I just, I don't want to come to faith. I don't want to put my faith in Jesus because I'm going to have to give up drinking. I'm going to have to give up smoking. I'm gonna, like he's going through the laundry list of all the things that he thinks he's going to have to give up. And I said, Bub, don't worry about all that. Just fall in love with Jesus and let him start doing some stuff in your life. Like you don't have to get rid of all that stuff and come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and you'll want to get rid of all that stuff. Like, let me just say it this way. The, it's not, the, the secret of Christianity is not trying to obey the Bible. That's not the secret. The secret is falling in love with the God of the Bible, and then you'll want to kind of want to do all those things because you just love him. I love you. Oh, you want me to give that up? Yeah, no problem, because I love you. Like, you'll just fall more in love with the God of the Bible, and all the other stuff just kind of fall into place. I love what Jesus said. He said, I'm not even going to tell you to love God. I'm going to tell you how to love God. You should love God. But I want to tell you how to love God. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. So that begs the question, how do you love God with all your heart and soul? Like, how do you physically do that? And wouldn't you agree with me that he wants us to express our affection to God? That's how you love him with your heart is you, you just express your affection to God. Listen to me. God doesn't want another song service. He doesn't even want... Your exuberant singing and your clapping and the lifting of your hands. He wants you. That's what God wants. He wants you. He's been chasing you. He's pursuing you. He loves you. He just wants you to fall in love with him. That's what he wants. And I would love to do a spiritual checkup on each of us. And I'm not the judge. If you have faith, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I'd love for you to ask that question tonight, though. Are you brave enough to ask the Holy Spirit this question? What do I love most? What do I love most? And what is the Holy Spirit of God saying to you right now? If it's God, awesome. If it's not, rearrange some dominoes. 
Here's a second way you can love the Lord. You can love him with all your mind. How do I love him? This is, the mind is what I think with. It's my brain. The mind is the place where I think. Wouldn't you agree that he wants us to focus our attention on God? Just to think about God throughout the day. My wife is great at this. This is one of her strong points. Is she will call me uh, throughout the day, many days of the week, and she'll just say, hey, I'm just thinking about you. And that blesses the fire out of me. A, a few weeks ago, I had a really busy slate. I had literally counseling from 9 a.m. until we left here later that afternoon. And I said, I might get to breathe at lunch for 30 minutes. Like, I, I, if you try to call me, I'm just warning you, you may not be able to reach me today. So I gave her that heads up and I left for the office and she actually called me in between two of my appointments and knowing I had given her that, that warning, I thought something was wrong. So I answered the phone and I said, hey, is everything okay? And she goes, yeah, I just want you to know that I was just thinking about you. I can't quit thinking about you and I'm so ready, I know, and I'm so ready, I'm so ready for you to get home. I will cancel that appointment right now. I'll be home in 15 minutes, right I didn't do that, but I thought about it. <laughs> Physical touch. I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> Let's wrap this bad boy up. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I crossed the line. Uh, what would it be like if throughout the day you just said, hey, God, I'm just thinking about you. I'm going into a meeting. I, I don't have time to talk right now, but I, you're just on my mind. I can't wait to connect with you later. I love you. Maybe that's what Paul said and meant when he, when he said to pray without ceasing, that all throughout the day, God's he just focusing your attention on him. So here's the question. What do you think about most? What do you think about most? Again, is it God? And here's the last one. He says to worship the Lord with all your strength. What's my strength? Wouldn't you agree that my strength is, is using my abilities for God? So if I'm going to a job that I don't really like going to, I'm going to do it for the, for the Lord. And if, I, if, I, uh, if I'm serving my spouse and kids, I'm going to do it for the Lord. And if I'm playing Fortnite, I'm going to do it for the Lord. And if I'm on social media, I'm going to do it for the Lord. Like I, Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do it for the Lord. Whether in word or deed, I do it all in the name of the Lord. My wife doesn't just like me to give her kisses. She wants me to do the dishes too, amen, all right? You got you to gotta do some things. You got to serve her. And, and God's, God's the same way. He says, I want you to do stuff for me. And, and, and that's worship. That's worship. You're worshiping me with your strength. Give me all your strength. So here's the final question. What, what do I do most? What do I do most? And I would encourage you to do that for the Lord. So I'm preparing this message. And I'm putting the finishing touches on it. And I felt like God dropped a nugget on me. And, and I, I won't say that he audibly spoke to me because that didn't happen. But I do think that there are times where he gives me very distinct impressions or he, he gives me something because he wants to use me. I'm not anything special. He's the one that's special. But he realizes I'm going to get a chance to talk to hundreds and hundreds of people. And so he, he gives me things sometimes. And that's what he does with pastors. But I told you earlier that the domino effect, the definition of the domino effect, is when one event sets off a chain reaction, like the falling of dominoes. A domino effect is when, <laughs> when one event sets off a chain reaction, like the falling of dominoes. So I'm studying dominoes, which is kind of dumb, but I'm studying it. 
And this is so cool. And the reason this is so cool is that I found this after we'd already named the series and started the series. We started this last Wednesday and I found this. And I'm like, oh, I'm like leaping out of my chair in my office. So we're studying dominoes. This messed me up. This is so good. Do you know where we get the word domino from? It's from the Latin word dominus, which means master or lord. Somebody got to get this. Okay. So a domino, a domino effect is when there's a chain that started by one domino and it continues a series of events. And there was one event in history. There was one domino. There was one dominus. There was one lord. There was one master. There was one event in history that started this chain reaction that led to you and I being here today, free in Christ, one domino. Listen. (laughs) In case you don't know, in case you don't know, let me tell you, let me tell you what that domino was. See, everybody in the room, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We blow it. In the beginning, he gave us 10, 10 to-do list. Don't do these 10 things, right? And I go through the list, and I go, well, I, I haven't done very good at keeping those things. He says, uh, don't put anything before me. I've done that. Don't ever misuse the name of the Lord your God. I've done that. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. I've done that. Don't covet. Don't, I've done that. Keep the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. I've blown that. He says, don't murder. Well, I haven't done that. But then Jesus came on the scene and he said, if you look at someone with hate in your heart, you've committed murder. I'm 0 for 6. How you doing? He said, don't commit adultery. Good there. And then Jesus said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. I'm 0 for 7. Right? Shouldn't steal. I've stolen. Right? So I'm not doing really well. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I've broken 20 commandments today, I'm sure. And here's the problem, that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. That's Ephesians 2, 3. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. That's a problem. People ask me that are not Christians, they say, why would a loving God send people to hell? I said, no, 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 that's what we deserve. That's the payment for our sins. But God didn't give you what your sins deserve. He said, I'm gonna, I got another plan. Because I'm a just God, so I can't just turn a blind eye to your sin. I've got to deal with the sin. So I'm going to send my son, Jesus, who's perfect. And he was tempted in every way we are tempted, Hebrews tells us. But he just kept yielding his life to the will of God for his life, and he never sinned. But he became our sin, 2 Corinthians 5 says. God made Jesus who had no sin to become our sin. So he took all your sin and all your sin and all your sin and all your sin, all your sin and all my sins, a massive amount of sin, put it into the life of Jesus. And he died because that's the penalty. The wages of sin is death. He died that death for you and I. So that in him, in a relationship with him, in Jesus... And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus said, in me... We might become the righteousness of God. Now, righteousness is a big churchy word that means right standing with God. So 
when I see God, he's going to say, we have right standing. Like, I have, you have right standing with people. I have right standing with my wife. My wife asked me before I left the house this morning, would you put another load of laundry in the, in the washing machine? And I forgot, right? <laughs> she forgot. Now, when I get home tonight, she's not going to be going, we're done, right? She's not going to do that. We have right standing. She knows I didn't forget that to like, <laughs> I'm going to forget the washing, right? I'm not, like, she knows that I'm not out to get her. I love her, and she loves me. So when we get home, she might say, honey, you forgot the laundry. I know, babe, I'll do it right now. Right, but it's not, we're, we're good. We're, it makes sense we're good. Like, she's not filing divorce papers, right? We're good. We're good. God, God in the same way goes, yeah, I saw the sins you committed in the past. I saw all the sins you committed today, and I thought, I know, I saw the sins you were thinking about doing tomorrow. But we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Because of Jesus. That I've been crucified with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He lives in us. So he dies on a cross. But that's not the event. Three days later, that stone started moving a little bit. And it rolled away. And he comes out of that tomb. And when he came out of that tomb... He pushed down that domino called death. He pushed down that domino called sin. He pushed down that domino called hell. He pushed down that domino called freedom. He pushed down that domino called grace being sufficient. He pushed down that domino saying, my mercy's new every morning. He pushed down that domino saying, you cast your cares on me, I care for you. He pushed down those, I said, I love you. That's the domino. That's the Lord. That's the master that started a chain reaction that chained us forever. He's the domino effect. Everybody stand to your feet. Stand to your feet, Randy, if you'll come. Band, if you'll help me. And I believe that too, man. Matthew 6, 33. It's my favorite verse. Not John 3, 16. It's a good one. Philippians 4, 13. I like that one. Matthew 6, 33 has been my life verse. If you seek my... Well, I can't even remember it. I'm so excited. Seek first. Seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness. Put that, that's your first domino. I gotta praise you. I gotta seek you. I gotta put first your kingdom and your righteousness and all those other things, that chain reaction that you're looking for will be added unto you as well. You gotta seek him first. You gotta seek him first. God, we put you first. As the band comes, I would love to just draw an imaginary line right across the front row. And I would love for you tonight, some of you have been pushed up against that line, and, and, and maybe you just needed me to just kind of nudge you over. For you to say, you know what, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go in all in. I, I, I'm, it's kind of like when you're dating somebody, and you date them, and you date them, and you date them, and you date them, and you date them. And then there's just one day where you go, I'm marrying that girl. I'm going to put the ring on the finger and we're going to make this a commitment and a covenant going forward. This is not dating. This is, this is one flesh. Some of you have been dating God for weeks or months, maybe even years. And tonight, again, there's an imaginary line right up at the front of the stage. And this is the line that you need to cross. And you just say, God, I, I'm in. I'm done dating you. I want to give my life to you. Slip the ring on my finger because I am yours and you are mine.
For some of you, it's going to be a rededication that happens tonight where you're just going to say, God, I've backslid. If I'm honest, I'm that prodigal son. I don't even know how I wound up in this building tonight, but I need you. I want to give my heart and my life to you. For some of you, you've been conservative. Maybe conservative in your worship, and you're just ready to go all in and say, God, I'm going to yada you, toda, tehillah, barak, shabbat, halal, zamar. I just want to give you everything, God. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to worship you fully, because that's what you want. That's your love language, Lord. And if that's what you've asked of me, if that's what you've asked of me, then who am I to question you? I'm just going to give you what you want. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. I might do a little jig, Lord. I just love you so much. I'm crazy about you. For some of you just need to take a step towards God. Just take a step towards God. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the band to come up. It just seems appropriate. We're talking about praise. We're talking about the domino effect. And I think it's appropriate when we talk about all these incredible Hebrew words to give you a chance to exercise some of that. And again, I'm not asking you to take the leap. Just take the step. And begin to worship, maybe in a way that you haven't up until this point. Maybe some of you, it would be apropos not to be clamorously foolish, but to bow down and surrender. Just right where you're at, just say, God, I just want to worship you. Let the words of this song pour over your heart and your soul. Some of you may need to come down here. Again, that imaginary line is drawn. That's for you to come down and to say, God, I, I, need, to, I need to make a decision. There's nothing holy about the carpet down here as opposed to the carpet you're standing on. It's just a matter of making that public, right? I acknowledge you in public. That was one of the words. I'm going to come down and just let the whole world know I choose you. And so you coming down said, I love this whole altar being filled with people from the top of the balcony to the front row. Just you coming down saying, I surrender to you. And I just want to worship you. And I would love for this moment to be the loudest. If you sing bad, you sing loud. I want it to be the loudest worship. I know we're not full tonight. We're close. But I would love for it to be the loudest moment this church has ever seen. Because you're going to exuberantly sing. You're going to shout. You're going to sing. You're going to say, God, I want you to know how much I love you. I love you, God. Whatever God tells you to do, you be obedient to that. Let's worship Him now. Come on.